0: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised you in John 10.10. And today we're going to wrap up this series called The Elephant in the Family Room and today Pastor Sean Azaro takes a real look at how families are being spiritually assaulted in a culture that doesn't know God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is where it starts to then know the love of God. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The message today is called The Family Outpost. Pastor Sean is teaching from Deuteronomy chapter six. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: As I was thinking about this morning's topic, uh, kind of a story that, Some of you may have heard before, but just kind of cracks me up. My poor little kids growing up, they didn't really know what what Kool Aid was. Okay? My wife is into health. She takes her assignment to take care of our health very seriously, often against our will. This is horrible. (laughs) My my poor little kids, until they got up and got on their own, they thought turkey bacon was good. That's just wrong. That's child abuse in some states, okay? (laughs) Really, turkey bacon, because it was healthier, and you know, they just like, I remember Orion High School, I prefer turkey bacon, now I think I've pulled him back over to the light from the dark side, but I'm like, come on, man, but Lori took our health, and still takes our health very seriously, and she's very diligent about that, well, our kids growing up having Kool-Aid, she'd use like a third of the sugar from the recipe, and so it was this wonderful tart little thing that they would have. Mmm, Kool-Aid, it's so good. You know, you shouldn't have to pucker when having Kool-Aid. That's just kind of a general rule of thumb. They went over to our friend's house, Mike and Kim Beckham, and they were watching the kids. And Ryan was real little. I mean, he was, I don't know, four or five or whatever. Uh, <coughs> she made some Kool-Aid for them. Okay? Ryan takes one sip of that. What is this? <laughs> what is this mystical substance? <laughs> and he's just like guzzling the thing. What is this? She goes, well, that's Kool-Aid. That's not Kool-Aid. That is not Kool-Aid. I've had Kool-Aid. That's not what it tastes like. What is this? My poor little children. He didn't even know what the stuff was. You say Kool-Aid, he thought one thing. You know, he found out, my gosh, mom's been keeping wonderful things from me. I think sometimes as we talk about family, that's one of our biggest obstacles to get over because when we say the word family, a lot of people go, okay, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have an interest in family because to them families like sour kool-aid they hear what it's supposed to be they've hear, heard the stories but they go yeah family that, that doesn't work for me so many people in our culture have a broken and distorted view of family maybe from their own hurts maybe their own upbringing so when we start saying things like oh god wants to invite you into the family of god like yeah no 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 time out i'm not interested in that new 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 thank you i'm not interested and of course, culture hasn't helped because when you start thinking about families that are in the public eye. Now here's one that's in the public eye. Take a look. You see if you recognize these folks. There's the Kardashian-Jenner clan. The reason I thought about them is the UK Sun a couple of weeks ago wrote an article. that says, who are the Kardashian-Jenner family and why are they famous? And that's a really legitimate question. 2007 when the show Keeping Up with the Kardashians started, and they've been all over the news. When we think of families that are kind of, in everybody knows about, this is one of those families. And all the crazy, weird stuff that's gone on. No wonder people have a distorted view of family. Of course, this picture was before Bruce Jenner chose to change his name. Now, here is a family... For A television family, a fictitious family, but the Cosby Show, this was the ultimate show about family for years. We all grew up watching this show. We loved this show. This was a great representation of family. Of course, with the news about some of the allegations that have been brought against Bill Cosby and some of the stuff he walked through, I don't think you can even find Cosby reruns. I mean, we've had family just publicly dismantled. All of our kids who've grown up. The public perception of family. We don't know what the word even means. See, family's supposed to be a gift. God gave family as a gift. It is supposed to be a place where we learn love. It's supposed to be a place where we learn how to treat one another, where we learn how to be accepted, where we learn the unique creation we are in Christ. All that's supposed to happen in family. And the reality, if we're going to have the conversation, the reality is this is not happening for people in our culture. When we say family... We mean one thing, they hear another. And and my challenge for us as we wrap this series on family is that we reclaim the word. We have to be the people who reclaim the word. We're the ones who profess faith in Christ, we're the ones who serve the Creator, who invented family, who designed it. We have to reclaim the concept, the idea, and the practice of Christ centered family. That's our assignment. And I think it is a huge, important cultural issue. Literally, we stand at a post with an assignment to reclaim just the very order of God's creation. We need to reclaim the gift, the blessing, and the purpose of family. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to begin at verse 1. This passage, Moses has been given the statutes of God, the Ten Commandments, the other ordinances of the Lord. And he's talking to the people about the ways and the things of God that they are to establish as a people. And I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture his, the critical role that family plays in this assignment of God's people. Remember, their assignment was to be God's people, to represent God, to spread his love and his grace to the world around them, and ultimately to bring Messiah, who would make salvation possible for the whole world. That was the assignment of the Hebrew people. And so Moses says these words, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning verse 1, he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that, listen, you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land, flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Keep the word of the Lord front and center and notice that the entire setting of this is family as the primary carrier of our faith. the primary distribution center wasn 't just the temple wasn 't the priests wasn 't preachers of some kind. it was family. family is to be this distribution center of our faith. supposed to be the most normal thing in the world. The writer goes on and he says things like, he says, when the Lord blesses you with land and cities that you didn't build, good things you didn't provide, wells, vineyards, groves that you didn't plant, he says, don't forget the Lord. The ways of the Lord will bring blessing. He says it over and over. He says, but when you are blessed, when you prosper because of following the ways of the Lord, don't forget him. Don't all of a sudden, because you feel like you don't need him as much, don't become absent-minded about where that blessing came from. He says, fear God only. Follow him only. Remember to keep his commands that it may go well with you. And then he picks up at verse 20, and I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 20. He says this, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws our God has commanded? Interesting. There's an assumption in this two assumptions. There's an assumption, one, that your son, your children, will know the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord our God. It will be their God as well. And that they'll ask about them. That there will be discussion. There's this assumption based on what he said that your children will grow up knowing this and they're, they're going to ask questions. And he says, when they do, when they ask, what, what's the meaning of these? Here's what you're supposed to tell them. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and on his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he's commanded us, that will be a righteousness. He shares this idea that you are people of a promise. God has brought you out of slavery into a new life. And we understand that. We understand that in the context of our own setting. Out of the slavery of sin, out of the brokenness, out of the separation, into relationship, into new life with him. We get that concept. And he says, that's the culture you're supposed to have, and it's a culture of blessing. I want you to see this wasn't just for the Old Testament followers of God. It wasn't just something for them. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it talks specifically about the generation of people who came out of Egypt, the one that Moses led out, the ones he's talking to, who got to the edge of the promised land and refused. He said, no, we're not going to go in, because it was too scary. The cities are too big people are too big, the armies are too great, we can't do it. Remember, there were 12 spies, 10 said, nope, gave a negative report. Only two said, but God is greater, but God's called us, but God has promised. God can do this. And you remember, they all overruled the other two. They insisted, the whole generation said, we want to go back to Egypt. Well, God didn't let them go back to Egypt, but remember, a whole generation of people died in the wilderness because they refused to believe God and refused to follow and be people of promise. And God had to wait until their children grew up. And by the way, the only two adults from that generation who got to go into the promised land are those two spies who gave a positive, faithful report, Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two who got to go into the promised land. The entire rest of the generation died in the wilderness without ever entering and receiving that promise. And the writer of Hebrews talks about that. He says, "He said they failed to have, to experience the promise that God had for them because of their unbelief. He said, don't you do the same, don't you make the same mistake? Because we're people of a promise too. He calls it the promised land of rest, his rest. And he's not talking about leisure. Let me read you one of those passages real quickly, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, he's talking to New Testament believers. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. They didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. Faith evidenced by obedience. God created them to be his people and he had a land for them. They weren't to be slaves. They were to be free in the land that God created. And I want to suggest to you has the exact same thing for us, for our families, for our people, for our culture. He says, don't be like they did. Don't miss it because of unbelief that leads to disobedience.
0: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called The Family Outpost." which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: See, this passage, the Deuteronomy passage we just read in chapter 6, it's a passage full of instructions. And I think it's instructions to guide a faith-filled family. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is supposed to be normal. And I want to suggest that this passage contains the secrets, if you will, to God's blessing on our families. If you want your family, and and I, I just want to stop again and say... You may be here and you're single and you haven't yet established a family. That's great. You're going to. We're all part of a family. Whether we're, whether we're a, a sibling, whether we're a parent, whether we're a grandparent, we are all part of a family. And family has an assignment. And I want us to understand that. And I want us to be a part of the movement to recreate, I mean to reclaim the concept of family in our culture. Our families, there's a sense of, a very real sense, our families are called to live differently because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The Deuteronomy passage we read is a passage full of instructions to guide a faith-filled family. It's everywhere throughout the passage. And I want to suggest the passage also carries the secret to God's blessing on our families. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Before we do, I want you to notice something in the passage because... He ends the passage by talking about us, but he begins by talking about you. You remember? He said, these are the, this is the beginning of Deuteronomy 6. He said, these are the commands, decrees, the Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to, to possess. So that you, your children, their children may fear the Lord. And all throughout that, he says, you, I want you to understand this. I want you to do this. I want you to impress this on your children. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Very much he's talking to them and saying, this is for you. In the second part that we read, when he says, remember, he says, in the future when your son asks you what's the meaning, stipulations, decrees, the laws the Lord has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves. But God brought us out of Egypt. He did this for us. He brought us out there to bring us and give us a land and promise, an oath to our ancestors. God commanded us. He starts with you, and then he goes to us. I want to suggest some of us kind of miss the you part. See, it starts with us. He has to be your God. This has to be your faith. This has to be working in your family. See, until our faith changes our particular families, your family, my family, it won't change our churches. It certainly won't change the world. We tend to look at institutions, and we think, well, the problem with families is in the church. The church isn't being faithful. And there may be some truth to that. I think we certainly bear some responsibility in that. But, folks, we are the church. We are the church. And it's got got to be ours. Okay? It can't be, well, we're going to support Pastor Sean as he goes and does something about this. Okay? Me and all the other pastors combined, we can't do enough to, to change this. But it's got to be your faith, and it's got to be mine. It's got to affect your family and become the family culture of your family for your kids, your grandkids your cousins, your siblings. It's, we've got to be families that have this culture of carrying on and passing on the things of God. And until it impacts our families, it's not going to impact our churches. It certainly won't change our world. Here's what I see from that. And I want us to hear this. And I, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is so critical. And I'm very specific. And when I say your family, I'm talking about mine too. But I want it to be personal. Because that's the way the writer put it. Your family is called to be a strategic outpost for the kingdom of God. Your family, my family, I believe they are called to be strategic outposts for the kingdom of God. We, we think of the churches kind of as, as these lights in the m- midst of a dark place and designed to be the strategic outpost for the kingdom. I want to suggest to you beyond that, your family is to be a strategic outpost. This church isn't supposed to have be one strategic outpost. This church is supposed to be hundreds, even thousands of strategic outposts all over the region for the kingdom of God. Places where the culture is, we love God, we trust him. His ways are honored. Your family is called to be a strategic outpost for the kingdom of God. Now, there's a statistic that we like to quote. I, when I was trained in youth ministry, I was told this. And I, when I was a youth pastor, I quoted this, that. And there's, really, it's true. I I think we're maybe a shade off in the numbers, but basically the idea was sound. It says this, that close to 80% of all people who are born again will accept Christ before the age of 18. That's what I was told. I saw that in different kind of places, and that's what I quoted. All people, 80% of all people who become born-again Christians do so before the age of 18. And Barna, I actually looked at one of the Barna studies that followed up on that. 2004 Barna study indicates that nearly listen half of all Americans who accept Christ as their Savior do so before reaching the age of 13. That's in their survey, 43 percent. People who become born again, who receive Christ as Savior, 43 percent do so by the age of 13. Two out of three born again Christians, that's 64 percent, made a commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. So we're close on our stat, and here's where the loop gets closed. And then 13% more made their profession of faith while 18 to 21 years old. So the truth is 77% by the age of 21. That's the way Barna, and he says that is borne out by several other studies. And here's the kind of dark flip side to that. Um, That means only 23% of people who ever come to know Christ do so after the age of 21. And we use that statistic, and that that's really kind of highlights the importance of our children's ministry, our youth ministry, all of our next generation ministries. We see how important they are. I want to suggest to you that that misses the point of the statistic. I think those ministries are really important, and we invest a lot in them, and we highly value them. But that's a statistic about family. Do you know why most people do so before that age of 21? Because that's when they're influenced by their families. Most people who become born-again followers of Jesus Christ are going to do so because they were influenced in the context of a family. And as we see where the family is heading, we see the inevitable effect it's going to have on the gospel. I don't say that in any way to take away from our ministries. I just say... That's a statistic that really bears out how critical the role of family is in transferring this faith of ours. And some people go, well, so what about people who aren't healthy? Well, of course we minister to people who aren't healthy. And a lot of people do come to Christ. I mean, 23% come to Christ after they're outside the influence of their families. But the fact is, you know, to illustrate, we get nutrition by eating healthy food. That's God's design. A person who's sick or injured, obviously, and they can't eat, they can be fed intravenously, but that's not the original design. There's a way that God intended it to happen. And see, just because many families are unhealthy doesn't mean we give up on God's design and calling, and I want to challenge us in that. Because we have so much pressure to bend to the culture's new definitions. Culture redefines things all the time, folks. It doesn't mean it's true. I mean, you need to, we need to let that settle in kind of deep right now. Just because you read it in the New York Times or in CNN or on Fox News or wherever you get your news, even the Wall Street Journal, just because you read it somewhere or saw it somewhere doesn't mean it's true. And just because culture says, in fact, if our culture is saying it and it kind of becomes the big new pop wave, i view it with a heavy dose of suspicion. Because I've watched. I've lived long enough now to watch and see how often culture changes its minds on what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not. And I have seen God's word. I've seen the things of God be a standard rock and foundation for thousands of years and everywhere that it is truly lived out in the way that Jesus walked, in the way the apostles established the church. It yields good, healthy fruit. And that includes in a family. It includes in a family. I just want to suggest this is urgent. This is not just for people who have small kids. This is for all of us. We need to reclaim this idea of family. And I I want to suggest your family is called to be a strategic outpost for the kingdom of God. The question is, will we step up and say, okay, God, we will be that. Now, I think this passage gives us five traits of a kingdom family. I want to cover for you real quickly. Five traits of a kingdom family are revealed as we read that passage. The first is, the family is where we learn the ways of the Lord. The family is where we learn the ways of the Lord, the things of God. Because what we're going to find out is that the things of God, the ways of God's word, the ways God calls us to walk, are so counterculture that there's got to be some place where we are trained and educated in the things of God. That's what verse 7 through 9 told us. Remember, we read the passage last week. He says, tell them to your children. Sit home, walk on the road. You lie down when you get up. Put them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. Post them. Make it normal in your house to learn the ways and the things of God. I mean, listen to some of these questions. Think about where we came from. See, we believe that we were created by a loving creator who had an intentional design. We don't believe that there's any evidence that anything ever came completely from nothing. See, when people say, well, what's the evidence for a creator? I would say the evidence for a creator is a creation. That's the evidence. That's the main evidence. told you before, we drove a car in here. You know, give me the evidence that someone designed this. Well, the car is the evidence. And I, We believe that there is a creator, a God. And so what, what that means is we came from somewhere. What's our purpose here? We believe the Bible addresses that. We have a purpose. Our life isn't meaningless. We're not an accident. That's significant. What is right and wrong? Who's to say what's right and wrong? In a relativistic culture, who's to say what's right and wrong? Well, that's your view. That might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And truth becomes this thing that's up, to, uh, up for grabs. It's just a matter of whoever's got the most votes. The truth doesn't work like that. Truth exists regardless of our opinions.
0: That's Pastor Sean Ozzaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Elephant in the Family Room, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.